Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 154, and this week we're going to take our treatment of the stages of the fisherman, something that you have inevitably heard about as you have been in and around angling. But before we get to that, I wanted to actually start the episode talking about who is sponsoring the podcast this week, and that is X-Chair. The reality is you spend a lot of time in your chair, maybe even more time than you think. You might think you get up, that you move around, that you're relatively active, but if you have a job that is on or around a desk, you are in your desk chair a lot. It actually might get the most time of anything else in your life besides your bed. And so why not have a chair that is comfortable, a chair that fits you, a chair that is adjustable, a chair that has the potential to massage or heat or cool. My X chair can do that. It is high performance, it is quality engineering, it is extreme comfort. It's not that I can't wait to be at work. It's that when I'm at work, I do enjoy sitting down, reading, leaning forward against my desk so I can type, uh, sitting and talking for the podcast. I love doing it in my X chair. So take my advice, try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back to a regular chair. So go to xchaircasting.com now. That's the letter X chair c-a-s-t-i-n-g.com or call 1-844-4x-chair for $100 off your order. X-chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchaircasting.com. What are the stages of the fisherman? The stages of the angler, the stages of the fly fisher, whatever you want to say. This is something that you have heard about, that you've read, that you've seen reference. It might be on some uh, cutesy, kitschy little piece of something that you put on your wall. Uh, I've seen it all over the place. But it, it's this. It, it's mo- most essential, boiled down version is this. 
The first stage is somebody wants to catch a fish. The second stage, they want to catch a lot of fish. The third stage is that they want to catch a big fish. And the fourth stage is that they want to catch a particular fish. And that makes sense. This is one of those things that I think is a, a real truism for a lot of us. A lot of our experience goes that way where we start off just wanting to get into fish. We've not done it before or we've done it here and there and now we're going to go out and we want to catch something. Then once we catch something, we like that experience so we want to replicate it multiple times within a very short interval. And then thirdly, we realize, you know what, the big fish actually have something going for them, whether we plan on eating them or not, so I want to get into one of those. And then after we begin to realize the nuance and some of the peculiarities of how you catch fish and why you catch fish, then we begin to set our own goals for the kind of fish that we want to catch. And I've even heard it said that that kind of morphs into just being happy to go fishing, really irrespective of catching a fish or not. And I did want to push back on that for a second. I have plenty of days where I go fishing, don't catch fish, and I'm perfectly content. But I would be lying if I said that I wouldn't have preferred to have caught fish. And maybe you have achieved some sort of angling zen, but I think that that is true for most people. Yes, you had a great day out when you got skunked. It was beautiful. You enjoyed time with friends. You ate something delicious. Being out in nature was nice. You might have seen some fish. You might have had some fish that have showed your fly interest. And those things are all great. And at the end of the day, you say, you know what? That was a good day. But if that was a good day, would it not have been a good day plus a little bit more had you have caught a fish? So I am not trying to rain on anyone's parade who's having a great time being outdoors, fishing, and not catching a fish, but let's not delude ourselves. We want to catch something. It doesn't have to be the biggest fish, it doesn't have to be dozens of fish, but we want to catch something. That's why we go out. There's a lot of other reasons why we go out, but that is at its core why we go out. If you you weren't into fishing and trying to catch a fish, then you would go kayaking, then you'd go canoeing, then you'd go bird watching, then you'd go hiking, then you would do any number of other things that would get you all of those peripheral uh, uh, benefits of going fishing without the fish so again i don't want to cast aspersions on anybody who has a great time outside and gets skunked but let's not say that it would not be a better day if we caught a fish so again the stages catch a fish catch lots of fish catch a big fish catch that one fish now this is something that i did a little bit of research on not a ton uh but you know online and then going through some books that i have and I can't find where this whole idea started. If this was some field and stream author at the beginning of the 20th century, or if this goes back much, much further to some, you know, angling uh, English author uh, that was published and republished in the colonies or whatever it may be, I'm not sure. If you know, if you can trace the um, origins of this scheme, of this paradigm, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. That's a cool little project. Uh, but I didn't feel like going into that much detail to talk about what I wanted to talk about, which is the fourth stage in the process. Um, I think that the fourth stage is where a lot of us are if we've been fishing for any period of time. I, I seem to, to feel, I don't seem to feel, I feel, let's not mitigate words here, I feel that most people who 
consider themselves engaged in angling are past the a lot of fish, past the big fish. And if they have found themselves listening to fly fishing podcasts, they find themselves reading fishing books, if they find themselves kind of in the culture of fly fishing, they've probably arrived at that fourth stage. But that doesn't mean that they don't go backwards, and that's no qualitative judgment statement. That is simply the reality of it. They go backwards, and they appreciate that we appreciate on a certain day catching a big fish, on a certain day catching a lot of fish, and on a certain day catching just fish. I know that there's some days where I just want a palate cleanser, and as fun as it is to go out and cast into a pond— I want to catch a bluegill. I, I want to, to feel the bluegill pulling at my leader at the end of my line, making the fly rod move. That is what I desire. And it doesn't have to be the biggest bluegill. It doesn't have to be the first of a dozen bluegill. I just want a bluegill. And so I think the interesting thing about that fourth stage, again, the fourth stage being catching the fish that you want to catch, is that that really is just a more nuanced perspective on the first, second, or third stage. You just have a lot of other experiences that go into it, that build up to it, that add to it. So let me ask you, where are you? If you, I, again, I, I would maintain that if you have taken the time to subscribe to a fly fishing podcast, if, if you found me through your, uh, your, your, you know, searches online for articles and blogs and, and gear reviews and things like that, if you've put in that effort, you've probably committed to the, the point where you're probably in that fourth stage where you've moved past the fact of just, you know, frantically trying to catch fish, then trying to frantically catch as many fish as you can, and then devoting yourself to catching that one big fish. But if you have, if you still feel like you're in one of those places, I would maintain and I would submit to you that you're probably at that fourth stage. It's just that that one particular fish or that type of fishing that you want to do, that you, you, you are kind of actually going back to one of those previous three stages, but you're building upon this great foundation of angling that has gotten you to this point. So where are you in that? give you a second to think about it. I give you a second to lean back in your office chair and realize it's not as comfortable as my office chair. Where are you in that scheme? I'll tell you where, where I am. I'm back at step one. I, I am. That, now, that's not to say that I don't want to go out and catch a fish a minute. It's not to say that I don't want to catch uh, an enormous striper when I'm on the coast. But a lot of my fishing these days is in that margin time. And I've talked about margin time before. It's how can I get out and fish while my family and I are at the beach just for an hour, 45 minutes. And I really feel quite accomplished when I get into a couple schoolie stripers and say, you know what? This was good. I literally got my feet wet. I literally put my hands on a fish and now I can go back to doing normal life. It means if I'm driving from point A to point B for work and I have a 10 minute interval, I could stop and do a little bit more work or I could just fish for 10 minutes, keep a rod in the back of the car rigged up. And you know what? Try to find a fish in a spot where I don't know if there's a fish or not. I'm casting. I enjoy that. But why am I casting? Why am I enjoying my casting? Because I know there's the possibility and the potential to get into a fish. And so it's not necessarily the big fish. It's not necessarily the, uh, the, the quantity of fish. If anything, it's how can I catch a fish that kind of seamlessly fits into my life? I just want to catch a fish. And so that's that's kind of where I am. 
uh, I'll give you a, a quick story. So there's um, a swamp kind of close to where I where I work, the close to the church where I work. And it always kind of sticks in the back of my mind, like this is a place that should have brook trout. And so what have I done? I've scoured historical records. Have people fished here in this town? Yeah, they have. And they've, what have they, what are the, some of the names of the roads around this little marsh? There's the Trout Road and there's, you know, Brook Street and there's Salmon Avenue and all that sort of stuff. And you think, okay. So, you know, people had an awareness of this. And then I cross-reference that with some uh, maps that come from organizations like the Eastern um, Brook Trout Joint Venture and Trout Unlimited and things like that. And I look and say, okay, they have done some time in the last 10 years some uh, screening and inventory work, and they say there are some traces of brook trout in this area. And then I know people that have caught bigger fish as they've been chasing, um, um, you know, uh, other things out in the bigger rivers that these uh, creeks flow into. And they, every once in a while, they run into a a trout. So I say, you know what, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to go target uh, bass and target muskie and target whatever else is in the big river uh, and just potentially catch a trout as bycatch. I want to catch the trout that is inhabiting these smaller creeks that flow into this marsh or flow out of this marsh. And so that becomes kind of my white whale. That's a lot of energy and effort in between my ears compared to driving to one of the tailwaters in central or western Massachusetts and getting into a lot of 14, 16, 18-inch trout that may even be wild. So that takes energy. But that's an energy that's a lot harder for me these days. I might get out to do that every once in a while, but for where I am with my job, which is a, a very good job, it's a job that I love, but it's a very consuming job with four kids, which is fantastic. I wouldn't trade that for, for the world with my my friends and my other responsibilities that I have in, 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 in my life. It's a lot easier for me to spend my night clicking on my computer and on my phone and trying to figure out where I might find some sort of remnant population of brook trout, like a little swamp in a suburban town, and then maybe take 15 minutes, 25 minutes, an hour to walk around there, investigate, and see what I can get into. For me, at my stage of angling, that is something that I absolutely enjoy. I don't feel like I'm being shorted. I don't feel like I'm not fishing. Um, you know, but to, to be consistent with what I've said, would I prefer to fish more? Absolutely. But it's about prioritization. And I've arrived where, you know, if you are maybe moving up that scale from the first, just catch a fish, second, catch lots of fish, third, catch a big fish. If I'm in one of those other stages, then then maybe, maybe my pursuit right now wouldn't be as fulfilling and I wouldn't enjoy it as much. And so that's where I can confidently say in this arbitrary scheme, this totally man-made um, synthetic structure that we, we kind of adhere to and we talk about, that I'm in that fourth place because I'm completely content to do that. But of course, that's basically just a fancy reiteration of that first stage. Um, just catch a fish. I'll give you another example. Um, catching a big fish. I am all about native fish. This is something that I I think I'll probably explore sometime here in a podcast coming up. But, you know, trout get so much publicity. And I love trout. I love brook trout and I really 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 like brown trout. Rainbow trout and I we have a relationship that is, you know, 
it's totally fine, but nothing too exciting. But I love brook trout and I really, really like wild brown trout. But there's a lot of fish that don't have the glamour and the sex appeal of trout that are worth pursuing. I'll give you one example of how that third stage, catching the big fish, uh, played out in this way. Uh, I used to own property in New Hampshire, and there was a tiny creek in it, and I caught bluegill in it, but they were teeny tiny, and I have no clue how they got in there. And they, they weren't bluegill, to be fair. They were some sort of nondescript sunfish, uh, probably green sunfish if I were to be honest with you. Um, but there were fallfish, and fallfish are native to this area. And fallfish, it's a, it's a big minnow, but they can get big. And honestly, like for their size, they fight probably harder than trout, which that might sound blasphemous and sacrilegious, but it's true. Uh, a 14-inch fallfish, it's got a whole lot more mass and meat to it. it. Muscularly speaking, it is broader than a trout. So, you know, I've hooked into 14-inch fallfish that have risen to my fly and uh, taking it down deep. And I think, oh my goodness, this is a great trout. And then it comes close and it's this giant shiny scales. And I've not caught anything that big up here in New England, but down um, in Virginia, I've caught some very big fallfish on spring creeks. And uh, you, you turn your nose up initially, but then you realize, well, what am I trying to catch? A stocked rainbow trout or this fallfish that is supposed to be here. So in my little creek in uh, my property in New Hampshire, that became one of my pursuits. How big of a fallfish can I catch? You know, four inch, six inch, eight inch fallfish. And you're holding the thing and you look at it like it is ugly as sin. It smells a little bit. It's a little bit greasy, but you know what? This fish is supposed to be here. If my neighbors downstream or upstream had stacked rainbow trout and I caught like a 14-inch rainbow trout, that would be great. But, you know, when, when I, I kind of put a bunch of pieces together, what are my priorities in conservation? What are my priorities in fly fishing? What are my priorities in why I go fly fishing? I've kind of arrived at that point where, it, again, it's a nuanced version of that third stage, catch a big fish, where... I want to see the fall fish in this creek thrive. I want them to grow large. I, I, that is a uh, demonstrative of a healthy ecosystem, whereas catching a stocked 14 or 16-inch rainbow trout might not have that same uh, uh, consequence. It is much better for the stream, and consequently, it's much better for me for, to catch a large fall fish in that little creek. And so... Is it a glamorous fallfish? Absolutely not. But it's a good fallfish. So once again, uh, I maintain that chances are you're past that first stage, past the catch a fish stage, past that second stage, past the catch a lot of fish stage, past the third stage, catch a big fish stage, that you're probably in that fourth stage. But at that point, feel free. This is my encouragement to you, and I guess there's something to be said for that. Feel free to go backwards and take what you've learned, take your experiences, and enjoy pursuing steps one, two, and three. Um, I think that that's the best way that we can enjoy kind of accomplishing something in angling, challenging ourselves. Can I catch a fish in a particular place, in a particular way? Just catch a fish. I don't care if it's a three-inch brook trout, but if I, if, I, if I do the research and I take the time to hike in and I do all that stuff and I catch that brook trout, then that is good enough for me. Or catch a lot of fish. You know, I'm going to go out and just mindlessly catch all the shad I can, see if I can 
top my previous record. Uh, not for the sake that that's how I get value out of fishing, but it's just so much fun to have a fish on the hook over and over and over again. Um, or catch a big fish. But big is really subjective. You know, the biggest fall fish, the biggest pan fish, um, the biggest brook trout in the creek that only usually produces 8-inch fish, catching that 10-inch fish with the really dark underbelly and the hook jaw. There's something to be said for that. So, you know, you think about those categories and you think about the little kid catching the panfish and then the the teenager who has the stringer of the 20 trout on it and then the guy who's got that huge 10-pound bass. Well, there's ways to go revisit those things, but do it with that fourth stage mentality. So that's my encouragement to you. How have you experienced that? How has that looked in your fishing? I would really like to hear about that. And uh, if that resonates with you, and if maybe this, again, this isn't going to help you do anything any differently, but maybe it'll help you do the things that you already do with a little bit of a different perspective. And that's really what I'm hoping for. Um, Not to make you do anything, not to stop you from doing anything, but to give you a little bit of a perspective and maybe uh, just a way to think about things in a little bit different light. You can enjoy fishing close to home. You can enjoy fishing in a place that isn't super glamorous. You can enjoy fishing in that margin time that you have because you have quote unquote arrived and you don't need the validation of some, uh, you know, arbitrary number or slot limit or anything like that to enjoy your time on the water. So how do you do that? Uh, If that makes sense, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I'd be happy to share some of your, your feedback in an upcoming episode. Hey, thanks for listening to episode 154. I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, this, again, has been helpful. This week on castingacross.com, the very first article of this week, there was too many of them. There's two of them, in fact. But the very first one, Kate, was called the Closing Day Sabbath. So trout season on most rivers in New Hampshire ends on October 15th. Now, I'm a Massachusetts resident, but I do most of my trout fishing in New Hampshire. Uh, That's where I first learned to find fish in New England. Um, it's really swampy close to where I live, and so I kind of quickly found my way to those tumbly, rocky mountain streams. Not rocky mountain like, you know, out west, but rocks in mountains, uh, streams up in New Hampshire. And it was familiar to what I had in Pennsylvania and in Virginia. And so that is kind of where I call home. But opening day is January 1st, not super productive, but closing day is October 15th. And they do that to protect any spawning fish that may be up there. And so for me, it's great to try to fish in that kind of last week um, of October. Now, lest you say, oh, well, what if those fish are spawning? Then you shouldn't be there like, you know, October 1st. They actually close down the wild trout streams, I think, on October 1st, uh, if I'm not mistaken, or the end of September. So I do go up that last week of the season, and it is a great kind of measuring stick for my season to say I was able to fish in the spring and in the summer and the fall and here's one last chance for me to fish before I close it out up here and so I rest does that mean I don't fish absolutely not I mean the the next week I go somewhere I go somewhere different I go somewhere open in Massachusetts fish for rainbows fish for you know brookies that are, are primarily stocked there's still stripers that are are doing stuff up here um, warm water fishing is still a thing in the middle of October and in, in some places and so it's not that I stop fishing but I stop my normal fishing so that might not sound like rest but I think that that is a good way to think about rest um, I read for work. I read theology and kind of philosophy and, and history, uh, you know, 
Monday through Saturday and on Sunday, mix in some fiction. Um, I watch TV that has a little bit more purpose, maybe, uh, Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday, mix in something a little bit more mindless, or football. That usually is a good thing to watch on Sundays. And for you, that might mean, you know what, I'm going to hang up fly fishing for the most part, go to duck hunting, go to deer hunting, go to tying flies, go to doing whatever else, and that's okay. Again, you don't need my permission to do it, but just think about it in those terms, and maybe it'll give you a greater appreciation for the seasonality that is truly in fly fishing. Wednesday's article is called The Fly Trap Fly Holder. Now, this is a small product I've mentioned, I don't know how many times in the last five or six years, really since I started casting across, and it's so simple. At its most basic sense, it is a tippet bar on one side and a silicone tube on the other that is for holding flies, but there's a nylon cord that runs through it, and in doing so, you're able to kind of put it wherever you want. It has clips on either end. Now it actually has carabiners on either end. And then there's a clip in the middle so you can attach you know, your, your nippers or your float into it. You can um, clip pliers on it. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways you can use the thing. And I love it because it's inexpensive. It's less than $15, but you're able to do so much with it. Uh, I have a lot of tools. I have a lot of floating. I have a lot of tippet. I have a lot of flies. I have a lot of rigs, all these different things. But the nice thing about this is that I can have all the stuff that I want most accessible at the ready and put it wherever I want. I am not limited to where there are clips on my jacket or on my sling pack. I make my own by using the fly trap fly holder. And it's just a great versatile little piece of equipment. I mean, I get <laughs> no kickback from them. I uh, don't think that it does anything revolutionary, but what it does, it does well and it does it for so cheap. So I actually, I, I love this product. I love people who, who are um, uh, inventive and who have uh, problem solving behind what they try to do and who are, who are involved in the thing they're, they're, you know, selling uh, themselves and the folks behind the fly trap, they fish all the time. Transition into this week's recommendation, the fly trap fly holder, the XLT. It's the newest model. And what's awesome is that the thing has been improved probably three or four times in these last five years. It went from having kind of plastic clips to having bungee cords. And now it has real deal carabiners. I mean, you're not going to want to climb with the thing, but they allow for you to put it in a lot of places very, very easily. And again, it's still under, it's under $15. And that's the thing that I just love about it. I'm not trying to sell you on a hundred pair of nipper, a hundred dollar pair of nippers. So I've, you know, gotten some heat for in the, in the past, uh, for, for, for doing, um, but uh, I would really suggest you check this out. Now, they don't sell them direct right now. Uh, you go to your fly shop, which is a really cool model. Um, but if you can't find that on your, at your fly shop, first of all, ask for it. Because this is a great point of sale thing for someone to have four or five of these sitting at the countertop, one all rigged up for display. There's no way that these things wouldn't sell out on a continual basis. So if you are at a fly shop, you know, definitely recommend it or suggest it. But if you can't, there's plenty of online fly shops that carry it. So it's called the Fly Trap Fly Holder. I will put a link to uh, the Fly Trap Fly Holder's placeholder page on this show's page on castingacross.com. And if you have any questions about it, how do I use it, where I put it, where I put it, you know, why I think it's so great, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.